My name is Ben Hyatt, and this is the Ministry Moments Podcast. Revelation 7-9 gives us a vivid picture of a great crowd of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue worshiping before the throne of God. From this and other biblical passages, we can see that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of diversity, a coming together of people from a wide variety of cultural, social, and ethnic backgrounds, all unified in their love and devotion to Jesus. With this diversity, however, comes the potential for disunity and division. How should we, as Christians, approach diversity within the church so as to value our God-given differences while making sure to maintain our unity in Christ? To answer this and other questions, I'm going to be speaking with John Pope, the missions and counseling pastor at Refuge Church in downtown Dayton. John Pope, thank you for joining us. Uh, my first question is regarding the issue um, that we're going to be talking about today, which is ethnic and cultural differences between people and how, as Christians, we should approach those, how we should work to maintain unity in the church, while also recognizing the God-given differences um, between people. Now, I first met you when you came to speak at my church, University Baptist, um, as a guest speaker, and your topic was this very issue. Um, first, I'd like you uh, to ask you the question, um, if you could give us some personal background on why you're passionate about this issue in particular and how that passion has impacted your ministry. Yeah, yeah uh, it's a very personal issue for me. Um, I grew up in a multi-ethnic family. Uh, my father, African-American, and then my mother is like a Euro-American. Um, and so uh, so certainly, and then they, you know, they got married in a time when that wasn't the cool thing to do. Uh, you know, so it wasn't as culturally acceptable. And so it was, uh, it was uh, tense. And then also, uh, you know, just a part of uh, personal history of my, both my parents are from the South and, you know, uh, my grandfather uh, marched in Ku Klux Klan rallies and, um, you know, I've had uh, very blatant racist interactions with certain family members um, where they say certain racist comments to our faces. Um, my grandfather and grandmother didn't even meet my dad until my sister's wedding uh, when she was 30 years old um, because it was, my mom basically had to hide the fact that she was married to an African-American man um, because uh, my grandfather told her if she brought home someone of a different ethnicity, she wouldn't be welcome back. Um, so it's it just a very personal issue for, for me and my family. So, yeah. In recent years, what do you think the Christian church, um, Christians as people as well, have done well in addressing ethnic and cultural divisions? And what do you think overall they've done poorly? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think in the current climate, um, we're kind of moving out of what I would call the, the peace faking phase of, of this issue. Um, some of it's become peace breaking, um, which is, you know, we're, we're seeing more div division and hostility arise. But what's coming out, though, is more clarity. Um, what we really mean by ethnic harmony or racial reconciliation, that's becoming clearer with a more public conversation. So it's actually, there is more peacemaking, I think, happening because of outside pressure in the world that is applying heat and pressure, and it's making us talk about these issues um, that we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be at peace and reconciled uh, and at harmony with one another as Christians and the outside world? So, 
in your talk that you gave at University Baptist, one of the issues you hit on was colorblindness. Um, now, for those of listeners who maybe not heard of this term before, um, I'd like to ask you if you could explain basically what that mindset is of colorblindness and what your views are on it as to whether or not it's an effective approach to addressing divisions of ethnicity or cultures. Yeah, good question. Essentially, the, the way kind of colorblindness works here is in a, in a desire, I think many people want to be at peace with other Christians who have you know different skin color or ethnic background, um, say, well, I, I just don't see color and I just see a human being. Um, and while I appreciate the heart uh, of that, um, I, I don't think it's the most helpful um, that, you know, this is something that God has made that I believe is beautiful. Um, these various colors and shades of, of, you know, people and different cultural backgrounds that they come from and, um, that God has placed them in these areas. And, and this is something that if God has designed these and, you know, God has put these things together, then we should value what he values. Um, you wouldn't say to, uh, you know, your girlfriend or, your boyfriend, you know, I just see you as a human. I don't see you as a feminine or masculine person. You know, like that would that would wouldn't make any sense. Like you, you find beauty. You're you're attracted to them because they are different from you, and you you see something different that's beautiful, and you're you want to move toward it. Um, you don't move away from it or try to ignore it or whitewash it or you know just get it to to go away. You celebrate it. Hmm. I think one of the motivations behind colorblindness for a lot of people is the fact that a lot of these divisions have a lot of historical baggage that comes with them. There's a lot of history of conflict, tension, oppression even, when it comes to differences between ethnicities, differences between cultures. So I think one question I would have, if I were to play the devil's advocate, um, is does appreciating those differences um, between ethnicities and cultures run the risk of stirring up division or conflict within the church? And if so, is that risk worth bringing those differences to light at all? Sure. Good question. Yeah, certainly uh, there's a prescription or command, uh, you know, idea in the scripture that we're, we're not to be, you know, divisive people, right? We're not to stir up division. Um, so, um, but this goes back to uh, that there's also, you know, in the Beatitudes that Jesus says that we are to be peacemakers, right? Um, so if there is hostility toward groups of people, uh, if there is dividing walls, uh, we know from the text I preached there at UBC um, that the gospel has torn down those dividing walls. We are instruments of peace. We are peacemakers. Um, we're not peace fakers. We're not peace breakers. We are peacemakers. Um, and so we want to embrace our gospel identity and say, even if it's a hard conversation, um, that Jesus certainly stirred up division. <laughs> he said, brothers and sisters will not like each other because of me. Um, and, and so this is what Jesus is, is bringing into the table. And so, you know, in a desire to be peace, sometimes it will cause division. Mm. So. I think another motivation of colorblindness um, can be partially a response to the tendency of modern Western culture towards uh, identity politics, that tendency to approach an individual first and foremost as their ethnic identity, their gender identity, their uh, religious identity, and then to make presuppositions about the individual based on that identity. Um, so when it comes to 
recognizing and appreciating those differences in ethnicities and cultures. Um, how do you do that while still accounting for each individual's experience? Um, in other words, how do you avoid stereotyping? Right. Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Um, so certainly, uh, you know, one example that I'd recommend as a resource is uh, a book written by Brian Lohr. It's called Right Color, Wrong Culture, uh, you know, um, where basically what he lays out in that book is that there are kind of different African-American experiences, you know, within the African-American, you know, upbringing and cultural context, you know. So when I was growing up, you know, like the one of the, the the family I grew up in, the TV shows I watched. I mean, you watched the the Black American experience for me was the Cosby's, right? Um, versus you know shows that you may see nowadays or what's put out on social media. You know, you might have an image of blackness as LeBron James or Ice Cube. You know, which is very different than the Cosby's. Now, are both of those groups black? Yes. Are they both Black Americans? Yes. Um, and so I, I, when I approach someone and I want to learn about, you know, a black American experience or Hispanic American experience or, you know, Asian American experience, like I don't want to assume that that person is just like LeBron James or like Ice Cube or like the Cosby's. You know, I want to say, OK, tell me about your particular black experience, background, upbringing. And I think that's how we can avoid stereotypes. But and, and, and so it doesn't become because this person had a black experience this way that's representative of all black people, right? You know, go, or this Hispanic upbringing is now representative of all Hispanic American experience. It's, no, there are subcultures within subcultures and we, and we need to recognize that. It sounds like the more individuals from a particular experience that you engage with per, on a personal level, one-on-one, -on -one, the more full of a picture you get of that ethnic experience. Not necessarily an absolute one, but still a, a fuller picture, the more and more individuals. Uh, but my basic point being, it sounds like it comes back to the individual uh, when it comes to avoiding stereotypes. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. My next question kind of touches on something that's been on the mind, I think, of a lot of people on campus. Uh, we just got done with the missions conference. Um, we had multiple chapels about the importance of going out and spreading God's gospel to groups that have never heard. Um, so I, in, a, in a missions context, how do you go about both appreciating the unique elements of a particular people's culture, uh, unique aspects of an ethnicity, while also successfully navigating those parts of the culture, ethnicity, that go against the gospel that need to be reformed or renewed by the word. Yeah. So, so there's, a, there's a, you know, language that you and I've used that, you know, I talked about in the sermon that, you know, I think can be helpful to, to kind of flesh out a little bit that when we talk about ethnicity, we're, we're talking about um, language and, you know, culture and, you know, and cultural expression, way people may dress or the way that they they think about money or the, you know, like, and, and so this is kind of what makes up an ethnic group, these, these kinds of dynamics. And so, um, so sometimes, you know, the, the trap that, you know, many early American or not or Western, you know, Christianity got into in the modern missions movement was exporting their maybe European context into 
a Chinese context and, and you say, okay, well, to be a Chinese Christian, you've got to wear a suit and tie to church, um, or you've got to wear your hair a certain way, or, you know, um, and, and this doesn't connect with the Chinese people because now it's like, you're asking me to not be Chinese. Um, and no, we, we, we want to recognize that the, the gospel while having certain orthodox, you know, objective realities, also has a context, you know, kind of an expression, a cultural expression, an ethnic expression, where, you know, um, so one of my favorite missionaries was, was Hudson Taylor, you know, so who, who went into inland China and, and changed his hair and changed the way he dressed for the sake of the gospel. Um, he was like, this, this is not what it means to be a Christian. You know, I can dress like you, I can wear my hair like you, and I'm still a Christian. Um, and so that really connected with the Chinese people. It was like, okay, clearly we don't understand this message, <laughs> you know, that this is not about a dress or a hair, or this is about a message uh, that can be contextualized to our people group. Hmm. What would you say would be the right steps to take in discerning between a difference in cultural preferences and then a difference in essential doctrine or theology? Yeah, I think, you know, you and I have talked about this before, that one of my favorite uh, stories that I, I heard while I was in seminary was of a missionary who who came into a certain context and, you know, he, he saw within that cultural context that uh, polygamy was rampant. Um, and, you know, he he's going in and, he, and the chief of the village becomes a believer. He's the first convert. And he knows I, I've got an authority in this guy's life. I can disciple him in such a way and I can tell him like this has got to go you know this is wrong this is biblically you know uh, sinful um, and um, so he's really wrestling with this but because he knew it could have really damaging effects on the culture um, that you know people could end up in prostitution or slavery and you know egregious things um, and so he's wrestling with this he's praying with it and he said I think the best thing for me to do right now is to be biblically faithful I'm going to continue to teach him the scriptures and and in, in time we'll address that issue um, and the spirit works in this man and he comes in one day and he says to the missionary I've been reading my bible I don't think polygamy is right. I don't think it's right for me to have more than one wife. And the missionary says, yes, you know, that's absolutely right. Uh, and, uh, and so because he was the, the village chief, he was able to, you know, now institute, uh, you know, a, a cultural change that was, that the culture was sinful there, right? I mean, it was sin. And that's now able to, to be done in a Christ honoring where the, the, the women and the children were all taken care of, and it, and it didn't end up in being as bad as it could have been because this missionary was patient and let the Spirit and the Word do its work. Um, and so that's just really a big encouragement to me. That's an awesome story. What was the name of that missionary again? I do not remember. <laughs> you know, so Listeners can look that up. Right. Um, but yeah, that's an amazing story, and I think it really does show a winsome and sincere approach um, that actually obviously led to a real heart change among that people group. My last question um, is bringing back um, basically this topic to a personal application level. Um, I myself come from a mostly homogenous background. Um, most of my family's friends growing up were white, Christian, homeschooled, um, just like myself. Didn't really have many interactions with people from different religious or cultural or ethnic backgrounds than myself. Right. So my last question is kind of personal for me, 
but also for listeners out there who maybe have a similar experience, different degrees, of course. What advice would you have, biblically and practically, for us as Christians engaging with other people from different cultural or ethnic backgrounds than ourselves? And that question is both in the context of unity within the church, but also in ministering to non-Christians. What would your practical biblical advice be in that yeah, question? That's a really good question. Um, and you know, there's some, there would be some things I think you can do personally, um, you know, just with yourself. And then I think there's things that you can do with others, you know. Um, and so some of those personal things I think you could do is, you know, I remember we talked, I talked about this at UBC, you know, what's happened a lot in America is that we've, we've kind of lost our ethnic identity. We've lost our ethnic heritage, you know. So some people might know, like, okay, I have an Irish background or a German background, but I have no idea what it means to be Irish. You know, I have no idea what it means to be German. Um, and, and then when you get into those places, there's tribes within Irishness, right? You know, like there's different sects of being Irish. Uh, and so what does it mean to be from this particular background, this particular tribe? And, and that's a lost thing here in America. Uh, and so I'd say at a personal level, you can look into your own, and this has become very common where people are doing DNA tests and they're looking into, you know, uh, their, their heritage. And I, I think that's beautiful. That should be something we encourage. Um, and to say, what does it mean to, to be Russian or, or Irish or, you know, German or British and, and these kinds of things. And then, so now that helps that when I go out and I, I talk to my neighbor and I say, what does it mean to be Chinese? What does it What does it mean to be African? What does it mean to you know? And it it hopefully becomes a that they like. What does it mean? What, what's your ethnic background? And they could say, Well, I'm, I've got some Irish in me. Like, well, what does it mean to be Irish? You know? And uh, we, and now it becomes a cultural exchange. Uh, and we 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 now become trying to find this beauty in each other's culture and you know and the ways God has has made us and um, that we're told there in Revelation five that. Every tribe, every people, every tongue will praise the lamb who was slain. So what does it mean to be that tribe, people, and tongue? You know, uh, What does it mean to praise him as an Irish person? What does it mean to praise him as a German person? What does it mean to praise him as an African person? You know, and, and not just African, but Ethiopian, right? Like there's even specific countries in Africa, right? Like that's not just a continent, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, there are, tr- there are tribes, there are nations there, you know, and so... Um, and so that's that's something that's been lost in America. Um, and then, you know, going outward more, I, I think you can be intentional to say, what what is your background? Um, and, you know, what 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 beauty did you find in it? What what struggles did you see? Is there something in your cultural experience that you you think is wrong? You know, um, that might be sinful, uh, you know, and uh, to, to listen to people and, and seek to understand where they've come from and. And you hope that they'll do that with you. Um, and so those are just some basic level things to, to get started. You know, so, John Pope, thank you for your time. Sure.